I don't know about you, but my, <clears throat> my yard is evidence that everything left to itself moves toward chaos and not to order. <clears throat> so I've been cutting weeds all weekend, and <clears throat> as you can tell, my voice is not changing. Uh, it is part of the weed experience of trying to claim back the kingdom of my yard. I think it's hopeless, but I'm working at it. One of the things that I have been, over the past several years, uh, as a matter of fact, this whole sermon series has been coming for a couple of years. It is the truth that I perceive in the scripture that there is a tension. Tension not in a bad sense, but tension between what appears to us to be two competing truths. Is it this or is it this? And one of the things I've seen in the body of Christ, particularly over the past 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 years, maybe it's always been, but I'm experiencing more and more, is that people tend toward one end of the tension or the other end of the tension. Um, They tend toward gravitating toward something that appeals to them and their natural you know, we all have tastes. We all like stuff in a certain way, and we like order. So our minds tend to go to one end of the tension or the other instead of fully embracing the tension that God gives in his word. Now, if I'm confusing you already, that's all right. Hopefully, I'll straighten it out by, I don't know, week four or five or six. So you're going to have to come back But living in these tensions can actually help us because we realize that we are totally and completely dependent on the presence and power of the Spirit of God in our lives to help us navigate through how these tensions work. There will be times when we kind of, like a pendulum, go from one extreme to another. But understanding how God has made us and how his truths are operating in every area of our lives, they'll make us more effective in the living out of our lives. One of the things that I think we should come to grips with is that as a result of the fall of man, as a result of sin, chaos still is present in our world. As a matter of fact, much like my yard, anything left unattended, moves toward what? Order or chaos? It moves toward, <clears throat> it moves toward chaos. Everything without some sort of outside intervention moves toward chaos, not toward order. A house requires maintenance. A garden has to be tended. A yard has to be watered and the weeds removed. Christ came to reverse the curse of the chaos of sin. That's one of the things he came to do was, as a result of the fall of man, chaos began to prevail. Now, I'm not going to back all the way up to preach on chaos, but in Genesis 1, God spoke, he hovered over the deep, and he brought order into chaos, right? Because that's what happens when God comes. Order comes into chaos. Sin opened the door back to chaos into our world. And as a result, we've been battling chaos 
ever since. But wherever God's rule prevails, he brings order out of chaos. When Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God is here, he is saying the door to chaos and sin is being closed. The tension that we feel is that we realize that the kingdom of God is here, and yet we're still battling chaos. We're still battling this tendency toward sin and the fall and the depravity of man and the world around us. Why is that? Because God's kingdom and presence is here and has been released, but we also realize that there's a, there's a not yet to it all. The kingdom is here, but it has not been fully unveiled and realized. And that will only happen when Christ returns and a new heaven and a new earth is here. We've talked about this on several points, but we live in the already that God has brought his kingdom through Christ and the not yet. It hasn't been fully realized. And so we have this constant tension in this world of the already and the not yet. It's a tension that we live with because we realize we can pray for people to be healed, but not everybody is healed. Why are some people healed and other people are not healed? Already, not yet. We experience the presence of God, but it's not, we understand in faith that we have it all the time, but it's not like we live it out every day. Why? Already, not yet. We have these competing tensions in our lives that we operate in. Throughout history, we see various groups tending toward one end of the spectrum of some of the competing truths we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, and entire denominations being set up, um, people battling, This probably won't be funny to you, but it's funny to me, so <laughs> I'm preaching. So um, just this past week, there's this group of Reformed guys. I'll tell you what Reformed means in a minute. I, I know many of you know already about the sovereignty of God and Calvinism, and there's a really a return to Reformation doctrine in a lot of circles. Um, <clears throat> implanted in this group of Reformed, there's this specific group called Together for the Gospel, um, the Gospel Coalition. Well, the Together for the Gospel Gospel Coalition just kicked out a guy because he was preaching about grace and sanctification. They just asked him to remove his blog. And it cracked me up that here's this unbelievably narrow focus of one group of a coalition that kicks out a guy because he starts teaching about grace. I thought it was hysterical. I guess it's one of those. That's the way we do, though. We get so specific in our battling on one corner of the market of truth that then somebody says, um, wow, it's, it's partly cloudy today. No, it is partly sunny. You're out. I mean, that's how specific we become. Rather than embracing the, the tensions of the truth that God has given us. Look at some of these in the Bible. Let me just run through a couple of them. 
if, you, if you're wondering what it is that I'm kind of referring to. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. Who chose us? Yet in Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So is it God's choosing or my yesing? Philippians 2.12 talks about attention even unto itself. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So am I working or is God working? One place in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, "For for who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We can't instruct God in his mind, but he's given us his mind. You with me? Then yet Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. I mean, these are just some of the competing truths we see between God's part, our part. Look at, here's a whole list of them. I just listed some out um, for you to kind of get a taste of what we're talking about. We have peace, yet we're to strive for peace. We have been saved, yet are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have been given rest, yet are to labor to enter that rest. We know the love of Christ, yet this love surpasses our knowledge. We have died to sin, yet must continue to flee from it. We have all knowledge, yet are to increase in knowing him. We have joy, yet are commanded to rejoice. We have been set free, yet are slaves. I could go on and on with what appear to be competing truths in God's word. Is God's word schizophrenic? I mean, that's the way to some people it appears. I believe rather than being schizophrenic, it is necessary for us to live and to walk out who we are to travel through this life. A couple of weeks ago, Kathy and I had, um, we went to see um, the symphony play. Uh, They were doing one of my favorite works, Mozart's Requiem. If you ever saw Amadeus, they play it all throughout the movie. Anyway, it's a great work. Love it. I went to see it, and I was, in my mind, I was already thinking about this series. And Kathy and I were talking about the string instruments because she always asked me, where's the violins, where's the violas, where's the cellos, where's the basses? She's always like, interested in the arrangement of the orchestra and anyway it it struck me again how the beauty of the string instruments the violins are set up because there's this string that is strung between two fixed points and it's the tension on the string being exactly accurate between all the various instruments that when the bow is brought across the string, all the instruments play in tune and they are beautiful to behold. They are, they, it is a work of art. But if you give in to the tension at one end or the other, that instrument will be out of tune and will make all the orchestra, just one out of tune instrument, will make the entire orchestra sound out of tune. 
beauty comes when the two tensions are set right. Too often we give in to one tension or another, and as a result, our lives are out of tune. It is not, I would declare, an either-or proposition, but it's a both-and. We need to fully embrace the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the work of God and our part in response to His work in our lives. This series is about balance. How do we bring balance into our lives? I don't believe balance is a bad word. Some people believe that balance in and of itself means compromise. I'm not talking about compromise here. I'm talking about a realization that God's word is really strong, really powerful. And we either fully embrace everything he says or we're going to be out of tune. One definition for balance is this, to keep or put something in a steady position so that it does not, what? Fall. We want to bring balance into our lives. Today I want to talk about hanging in the balance. And this to me is really fundamental. How do we come to grips with grace, faith, and works? Is it by works? Is it by faith? Is it by grace? Yes. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. By the way, when I read most grace books, that's exactly where they stop. But he goes on and says, For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The body of Christ is basically divided into two groups. Those who emphasize grace, what God does, and those who emphasize faith, defining it as what we do. Many ways we can argue this tension in a bad way between Calvinism and Arminianism, but I want to talk to you about how do we fully embrace the tensions of God's word. And here's my challenge. I don't want this to become so theological or esoteric that we don't realize this affects us every day. How you go out in this world and live your life will depend upon how you answer these questions and whether you fully embrace everything that God has. So let's kind of travel through this together, what Paul is saying in Ephesians. First point is this. Grace is a gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. He says it right there in Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. He gives it to us freely. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We don't earn it. It is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited means you didn't do anything to merit it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. He has given it to you. Grace is favor given to someone who actually deserves the opposite. Now, by the way, most of us think we're neutral, right? Okay, I I don't really deserve God's grace, but it's not that I deserve the opposite either. It's not that I really deserve punishment. It's not that I deserve hell. I think of myself more as neutral right? I mean, most of us, we are so deceived. 
that we think that we can just operate in a neutral position. Actually, grace, when given, is given to a person who deserves the opposite, and we all deserve the opposite. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, for the wages of sin is, is death. That's really what we all deserve. That's the proper payment for what we deserve. But God, rich in grace and mercy, has gifted us with grace. I know that uh, Les Mis has been done a lot lately in the book by Victor Hugo, but it's still, to me, one of the most powerful stories of grace that I've ever seen in literature because you have this guy, Jean Valjean, who um, was a criminal, put in prison, we think wrongly, because he stole a loaf of bread. Um, We feel like, this is the way we operate in our own minds, if, if you steal a loaf of bread because you're hungry and your family's hungry, then it's justified, right? Rather than seeing sin as sin, we just, and that's the way he viewed it. I really didn't deserve this, and the punishment doesn't deserve the crime, from our perspective, doesn't suit the crime. But nonetheless, he's put in prison. He escapes from prison. He's, on, he's fleeing from um, the bad guy, and uh, who's actually one of the good guys, but he's legal. Anyway, it gets complicated. I know you've seen the story. He flees to a bishop's house, who was a priest, now a bishop. And this bishop shows him incredible kindness, taking him in. He knows he's a criminal of some sort. He's fleeing, but takes him in, feeds him, bathes him, gives him food, During the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, again, justifying in his own head, why is this, though it's a simple place, it has some ornaments from the church, he steals them and flees in the night. And then he is caught by the police, and he lies to the police and says to them, hey, uh, the, the priest gave them to me. The police haul them back to the bishop's house, to the priest's house. And, And again, one of my favorite scenes in all of literature They ask, did you give him this stuff? Did you? He says, you gave it to him, but it looks like he stole it. And the priest basically says, he didn't steal these things. They were gifts to him from me. And oh, by the way, you forgot the candlesticks. And he takes these very expensive candlesticks off the pedestal and gives them. At that moment in the book, Valjean realizes that he could either receive the grace and the gift and lose control of his own life, or he could hold on to control of his own life, refuse the grace, and stay in self-righteousness. In his heart, he says, maybe I shouldn't take this. I can pay my own way. I don't need anybody's grace. Or he could receive the grace, be accepted, be forgiven, be freed. And he knew that in his heart, if he did that, then he could not go on holding on to his own self-righteousness and holding on to hate. He would lose control. Later in the musical itself, he has this line where he sings, My soul belongs to God, I know. I made that bargain long ago. Real grace, real grace when it's received is transforming. 
Real grace, when it's offered, by the way, is threatening. Why is it threatening? Because it means that I lose control. I relinquish control of my life to the one who's offering me grace. To really receive grace always is a cataclysmic change in our lives. If you've not seen this change in your life, then you've, I would contend you've never really received grace. Lots of people think that they've become Christians. And they say, yes, I understand the offer of Christ. Be good, do well, follow the Ten Commandments, follow the Jesus and he'll bless you. That's not grace. Grace is receiving what he's done for you so that you can be changed. Real grace, when it's offered, is threatening, and when it's received, it's transforming. God accepts you because of what Jesus did at great cost. And to admit that you're a sinner is to realize that the only way you can have this received is by grace. Once you receive it, it changes you. So grace is a gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. Second point is this. Grace is activated by faith. Grace is activated by faith. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Tim Keller describes it like this. I read a sermon one time of his where he defines it a little bit like this kind of picture. Grace is the kiss of a soul in a death sleep. So what happens is his picture is that of like Sleeping Beauty. I think there's a Sleeping Beauty remake about to come out. Um, But in any case, Sleeping Beauty, you know the story of Sleeping Beauty. The prince comes, kisses her. She's in this sleep, death sleep, and she awakens. Grace is like that kiss on a person who has and is in death. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, all prior to this, Paul has been talking about that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God has made us a lot through grace, through Jesus. So we were dead and grace kisses us and we wake up and we suddenly have a choice. Do I grab grace around the neck or do I not? The picture here Paul is giving is that grace wakes us up, but activated in our lives, grace comes by faith. We have to receive in faith what God has done for us. We see faith at work in our lives. It's an awakening that comes through grace that then is received by faith. The prodigal son is another great story where this happens. The prodigal son, remember the story, goes off to the far country, um, spends all his daddy's money, really all his money, his inheritance on wine, women, and song. He has a great college experience, I mean a great time away from his dad and is just uh, partying up. He realizes he's broke, he's got no food. He's having to tend pigs for a living, and he eats their slop, and that's all he can do to survive. He realizes at one point that if I get up out of this pig pen and go to my dad's house, even the slaves eat better than that, I'll just go home, tell him I'm sorry, say, please, can I be one of your slaves? Slave life with dad is better than pig life. As he's on his way, he's 
thinking about what to say to his father in order to get back in his dad's good grace. I know you know the story. What does the father do? He runs to the son, and before the son can do anything, he embraces him and kisses him. A sign of receiving as a son, not a slave. That's the picture of grace in our lives. We've done nothing to deserve what God has done for us. But the Father, through Jesus, before we can ever get the words out, he kisses us and brings us alive. But faith activates the grace in our lives. Though it's by God's power that we're made alive, at some point we have to grab grace around the neck and receive and embrace what God has done in our lives. Take the faith you have, which is always a gift of grace, and exercise it, and more grace will come. It's a remarkable opening in our lives that as we operate within faith, as faith activates grace, it actually activates more grace, which activates more faith, which continually should see us growing in our relationship with God. Wherever you are this morning, I want to encourage you to commit yourselves to wherever you are. Receive the grace God has given you and walk it out in faith. Third point is this. Faith results in, I don't know what has happened to my uh, PowerPoint here. Obviously a slight change in uh, font sizes. Faith results in, but does not come by works. Works. By works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the picture. Grace is a gift of God that's activated by faith, which in turn results in good works. So what is it? Is it grace or works? Yes. Yes, it is what God is doing in our lives. People who say works don't matter a flip have not walked fully in the grace and faith of God because what Paul is saying is God's grace that kisses you, activated by faith, now what are you? I am God's workmanship, created in advance to do good works. Works do not lead to grace, but works result from grace. The Bible, I believe, teaches us that you cannot kid yourself. Grace, if it's really there, leads to faith. Faith, if it's really there, leads to work. It leads to a change in life. It leads to us doing something for God as a result and response. Now, here's here's the two things I think Paul is saying. For those of you who may be reacting already to the whole idea of works and saying it's all about grace, it's not about works. Here's what Paul says, and this is really, really, really important. Being, you could write this down, Being precedes doing. 
being precedes doing. Grace, faith, now do works? No, he says faith, grace, faith, workmanship. I am God's workmanship. This is who you are. Being precedes doing. It's not the opposite way. It's not doing precedes being. You may be saying, well, that's, that's a lot of hooey. I really am not sure what you're saying. What I'm saying is this. We live in a culture where there's this thought process that says existence, existence precedes essence. In other words, that's, it's an um, um, existentialist view. This is what John Paul Sartre is saying. I think I'm digging the hole deeper rather than getting it out of it. But here's what he says. You're like nothing. I mean, you're nothing. If you want to be something, then do something. If you want to become somebody, then you got to do stuff to become somebody. And you are like a blank slate in many ways. And what you need to determine is who you're going to be, and you're going to be who you are by doing something to get there. Are you with me? And we, in America, we've received this. We believe this. If you want to be somebody, then you have to work hard and do something in order to be. So for us, in our mindset, for most of us, whether we know it or not, doing precedes being. But in God's economy, being comes before doing. In other words, if I were to say to you, you need to be compassionate, You need to be compassionate. Well, in truth, you can't make yourself compassionate. But here's the great news. Grace has awakened you. You've received in faith. Now God has made you compassionate. You are God's workmanship. Now be compassionate. Your being precedes what you do. If you try to be compassionate do that work without being it, you're never going to make it. You're always going to fall short. This is why saying to people who are not redeemed to be holy is just a total waste of time. Because you can't say to somebody, be something you are not. Instead, what we have to do is hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ so that by the power of the Spirit, people are kissed by grace and are awakened to who they are in Christ, receive in faith, and then are God's workmanship. By the way, the word workmanship there is the, is the word poema, which means, in Greek, which means God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. And when God looks at you as his masterpiece, as his workmanship, he is He is concerned with forming you and framing you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So he's knocking everything off of you that is not that. And sometimes in God's economy, the chisel that God brings into our lives is not very pleasant. It takes a while for the masterpiece to be developed in our lives. But when God does it, by the way, we have this debate that rages. Is it? Is it genetics or is it environment? Look, I think they're just big brushes in the hands of God that forms us into his masterpiece. 
If we see that God is work in the way he has made us genetically, but he's also placed us on this earth, in this family, at this time, he then redeems us, he then brings us in faith to him, then we can just rejoice in what he's doing in our lives to be formed in his image. We are God's workmanship. And to me, it's like that stringed instrument, a masterpiece that when God picks it up, us up and tightens the strings, creates the tensions that work truth in our lives, and draws his bow across our hearts and our lives, we sound for him. One of my favorite poems, old poem, is The Touch of the Master's Hand that talks about this old violin that was battered and scarred. And I won't read you the whole poem, but you probably remember the story about how the auctioneer picks up this old violin and says, what, what do you give me for this? And he's like, $1, $2, $3. Nobody's really bidding on it. Then this old guy walks up. He takes the violin. He tunes it. He picks it up, and he plays this beautiful song. And then the auctioneer goes back and says, what, what do you give me now for this violin? 1000 2000 3000 And the people ask, what made the difference? It's the touch of the master's hand. When we receive by grace and faith Jesus, then we, you, listen to me, you are God's workmanship. Some of us, I know, because I've talked to some of you at times, I don't think so. I don't think I'm, I'm really nothing. I'm really not that. God says, you are. And we must receive. If we're going to receive in faith, we've got to receive the whole thing in faith. C.S. Lewis, in The Problem with Pain, The Problem of Pain, says this, and it's a little complicated quote, but I know you can, we're all good with it. He says this, You asked for a loving God. You have one. The great spirit you so likely invoked, the Lord, he calls it the Lord of terrible aspect, is present. Not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. This is the loving God we asked for that we've received but the consuming fire himself. The love that made the worlds persistent as the artist's love for his work and despotic as a man's love for a dog, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between the sexes. What is he saying? We serve a jealous, loving God who brings the fire of his presence into our lives and will do anything to bring us unto himself and into his likeness. Don't be afraid of that kind of loving God in our lives. Because through grace and faith, where is this workmanship, and he has designed us then to do what? Be unplayed and sit in the closet? take ourselves off the shelf, not let 
ourselves be on display for the world to see the glory and magnificence of our God? Of course not. He's created us to, as his workmanship, his masterpiece, to be shown to the world. Why is it that God doesn't just kill us as soon as we get saved and take us to heaven? If everything is about being in the presence of God, which I at times see people claiming it's all about the presence of God. It's only about the presence of God. Look, look, the presence of God is primary. But the presence of God is at work in our lives. Why? Because we're his workmanship. He wants to display us to the world. He wants to be like that crown jewel that shows the world his glory. The church is so much more. We are so much more. Sin is just a form of insanity. Insanity is being out of touch with reality. If you're insane, you're not in touch with reality. Here's the challenge for us. What is real to you? What is real to you? Is the reality that you are God's workmanship? If so, and you're a Christian, why are you so hopeless? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so bored? You say, Pastor, well, you're not in touch with reality. You don't know my life. You don't know my circumstances. We've all got bad circumstances. We've all got rough lives. Some on the spectrum may be rougher than others. But it is what's real, what God says about you, or what's going on in your circumstances? Where is real? To me, if we're going to walk out this balance in our lives, then we have to receive the truth that God's grace has touched our lives, that we are walking in faith with him, and as a result... We are God's workmanship, created in advance to do good works. I think this is why James says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And we get all guilty about this, saying, Oh, i got to work to get faith. But what James is saying is, No, because of grace and faith at work in your life, you are God's workmanship and you're then doing good works. So what if you're not doing good works? Paul, James, Jesus would say, reevaluate where you are. You may not, that word may not mean what you think it means. You may not. Works don't lead to grace and faith, but they are definitely a result of them. This is a balance that I think we all have to live out. This is the balance, the truths, the competing tensions of life that we all must must receive. Grace is totally God's gift. You did nothing to earn it. As a matter of fact, you deserve the very opposite. Faith awakens when grace touches our lives and activates that grace in our lives. And when this occurs, then we are transformed. We are no longer sinful creatures. We're God's workmanship now walking in good works.
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, that as we, in the weeks ahead, look at these truths about balance and tensions that are brought to bear in our lives, that God, you would work mightily, that you would do what you desire to do. Lord, we don't, we don't want to fall. We want to become more productive. We want to be everything you've redeemed us and created us to be. Not to get, not to get your favor, but as a result of what you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk to someone more about this or have someone receive prayer, just either come to me or Andrea after the service. Love to talk to you about it. We're going to worship God through the giving of an offering. Before we do, Andrea is going to uh, set up with some opportunities for you to serve this week. All right, you have a white connection card in your bulletin um, or in the seat back in front of you. If you would, are a visitor, we would love for you to fill that out and let us know that you're here. We pray for our visitors every week. Also, members and visitors, if you have any prayer requests, please write those down on that card as we pray over those weekly as well. There are no Wednesday night.